it's a, a joy to be with you again here today. Last week, last week we looked into Exodus chapter 15 with all the celebrating, with all the praising, with all the rejoicing, with all the dancing. And we would be preferring to end it right there and say with all the Disney movies, and they lived happily ever after. Many of us grew up on that philosophy. And so uh, we certainly do tend to have a hard time when troubles hit. And we think there are uh, bad things going on for us and we don't need them. <laughs> well, the philosophy that we have there that they all lived happily ever after is simply fantasy, right? Exodus is real. Exodus is real. A real time. You know, it's, you know, 14 to 1500 years ago. A real time. A real place. Egypt. A real body of water. A real people going through. A real enemy chasing. This is reality. <laughs> and a real victory. Amen? A real victory over the enemy. And that's where, you know, God has established that He is the one behind it all. Okay? It's all because of a real God. This is not some uh, nice, cute story or whatever, some mythology. This is real. Okay? And along with that, it's been said many times over, he's not, God is not going to leave his people as he's found them. Let that sink in. God's not going to leave his people as he's found them. He's saved them here as we've uh, witnessed over the last couple of weeks. He's delivered them, rescued them. They're his people. Israel is his son, right? So if... Uh, we in, in this opening segment, if you are new to the faith, oh, five to ten years maybe and younger, praise God for saving you and delivering you out of the bondage of sin. You're still in the first stages of the journey. <clears throat> and for you who are older in the faith, there have been many lessons that he's brought you through and taught you. And there's many more to come. God's in the business of reshaping, remolding, and transforming you. And he's not stopped. He continues on. So Exodus 15 through 17 proves that God is not finished with his good work on his children, in his children. So this passage that we're going to be looking at today shows the value of recognizing God's good work. Recognizing God's good work. So number one, if you want to follow along in your outline, is 
recognizing God's good work, his good purposes in you, his good purposes in Israel. Look at chapter 15, starting at verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians." For I am the Lord, your healer. And then they came to Elam, where, they, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. God's good purposes. Um, again, this, this brings forth this idea. Here's this um, journey that they've been taking since getting through the, the Reed Sea. And it's been, you know, here's three days. Now, we have to understand, they didn't have the, the you know, the uh, REI backpacks with water in them, you know. They had their pots, they had their containers, but they ran out. And, you know, you can just, can you imagine three days in a wilderness and somebody at the front, how many people are walking along? It's not just 20, you know, a little group. It's a couple of million. Somebody's calling out, water is ahead, water, water. And the word spreads. And it's like the pace picks up. And they get there. And somebody has already said, don't drink the water, sorry. What? You know, it's bitter. They can't drink it. So what's going on? Is this like some monster mistake? Moses, what's the deal? Right? <laughs> so what we need to see is from a biblical perspective, we have the advantage of a biblical perspective to say, here's God's testing going on. This is God's testing. It's for refining purposes. Just like precious metal gets tested, so God allows His children to be put through the fires of troubles or difficulties, to draw out the dross, draw out the impurities, to bring forth what? God wants to bring forth genuine faith in you. That's really what it's about. It's not like some profound concept or whatever. It's just back to simple things. God wants to see Genuine faith in you and me. It's not that difficult. <laughs> right? <laughs> it just comes back to being, saying, I, I'm going to trust God. That's, that's what's going on here. That's the level one testing, so to speak. Testing. 
And what it does is, letter A, under number one, it reveals man's condition, broken and needy. <clears throat> it's a heart condition that drives the need for God's help. Do we recognize that? Most of us do recognize that. But some are still saying, no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm choosing my own path, my own leadership, my own captaincy. I'm in charge. So we, you know, we have those, you know, we have folks like that. Obviously. <laughs> and so the test reveals the people's complaining spirit, grumbling heart. Yes, they needed the water. Yes, they were concerned about their children or their elderly, you know, parents or grandparents. Many of them might have been right near death's door without water. <laughs> But this is not an accident. This has not been a bad turn. God has not lost control. In God's playbook, it's still in His plan. And so, we come back to say God is still sovereign, isn't He? He is still sovereign. He's not surprised by the turn of events. This didn't catch Him off guard. He has allowed this to happen for a test. And how will they respond? Well, we know. <laughs> they didn't really call out to him at that point. They didn't trust in him. They demonstrate what is the, at the heart of our problem. With most of all, most all of what happens, we experience a faith failure. It happens, doesn't it? And our response, justified in our thinking, is simply revealing our true condition, <clears throat> that we lack faith. In somewhat of a related situation, remember Jesus and his disciples during the storm on the Sea of Galilee, on the Lake of Galilee? Disciples cry out, save us, O Lord, we're perishing. And Jesus' response... He said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? What is he getting at? What is his point? He, he knows of the storm. He knows of the distress. He knows of the trouble, the pressure. He knows. But what is he just, you know, Jesus previously had demonstrated his power it's not like they're brand new to the situation. And here in Exodus, guess what? God had demonstrated his power. <laughs> he had demonstrated his power. I know, I come across in some of these statements that, oh, it's supposed to be so easy and it's, it's no big deal. You know, if you just get your act together, you know, we'd, we'd be fine kind of thing. No, this is the test. It's a test. So, Jesus spoke that way to the twelve because of their lack of what? Faith. Okay? They needed to trust Him. But in faithfulness, God's faithfulness is the, the test is also about letter B. It reinforces... Um, yeah, it reinforces God's remedy. It shows man's true condition. 
that we are broken and needy. I've heard somebody say, um, you know, we're dysfunctional <laughs> in the real sense of the word. We've got a sin problem. It, it causes brokenness and, and neediness. We're no longer, as believers, we're no longer separated from God, right? We've been reconciled. Isn't that beautiful? We've been reconciled to God. And my friend, if you're here this morning and you know that you're not, we plead with you, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to Him. Be made right in a right relationship through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. But... We see in, this is an interesting passage here in verse 25, chapter 15, 25 through 27. It, this reinforces God's remedy. We immediately focus on the miracle God accomplished for them. Throw the log into the water, right? That's what God showed him. Look at that in verse 22. I'm sorry, verse 25, getting off track. The Lord made for them, no. Yes, I'm getting it. Sorry. The people grumbled against Moses. In verse 25, Moses cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree or a log. Now, it's just like we think, well, God showed him something and Moses, what, did he figure it out and he threw it in the water? The the word showed can trace back to the, the term Torah. God's instruction. Immediately, for many interpreters and commentators, they want to take the idea of the tree and the log and point it to the cross of Calvary right away. That makes sense, doesn't it? But actually, the context here shows us something different. God showed him, gave instruction about this, And Moses took it and threw it into the water and the bitter water became sweet. But look at what follows. There the Lord, in verse 25 there, there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule and there he tested them. How? Verse 26, saying, if you you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. What's God's immediate concern for his people? That they got water? Oh, that they're going to say, I need to listen to what God says, and I need to do what he says. Most of us, we're really good at saying, oh, I know that, I've heard that, I listen. But the question is, what are we doing? How are we doing? Are we living in this way? Well, obviously, we know, again, biblical perspective, we know no, none of the Israelites could perfectly keep the commandments. So I guess we could then follow up with this understanding of the importance of God's law and instruction with the idea that, oh yeah, God, God has an answer coming. Calvary is coming. The tree that Christ died upon will take what is bitter and make it into sweet. 
But that's not our first understanding of the passage. We need to understand God's already been telling them, this is what you need to do. Listen to God's word. Listen to God's instruction. Well, this then is first and foremost the way his people will experience their true healing. I am the Lord, your healer. Okay. So, and yes, his death on the cross, Christ's death on the cross took the bitterness of our spiritual sick condition and brought about transformation to a spiritual sweetness. Taste and see that the Lord is good, right? And now we who say we are believers, we can be drinking from the waters of everlasting life. Drinking of what God has provided through the death, the suffering, the death of, of Jesus Christ. This very truth strengthens and empowers us for service and significance for honoring God in this life. Not just to save us and say, oh, we have a hope in heaven, but to make a change in our lives, to make a difference in this life. So that there will be significance in honoring God. So next we recognize God's good work is about, number two, his good provision. His good provision. And this is in chapter 16, where the, it's, it's all about what God has provided. His good gifts given to them, given to the people. Even as they're responding by grumbling, and in even a worse way than they did earlier. This is more intense grumbling. Look at verses 1 through 3 in in chapter 16. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died in, by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Oh, we've gotten a lot more. Oh, that went deep. Wow. But you know what? Here's, been, here's some exaggeration on the part of the Israelites in their grumbling. It's not just intense, but it's exaggeration. Along with a strong exaggeration, there's a stronger accusation given. Right? You brought us out into this wilderness to what? To kill. So, what's this about now? This whole idea, here's this grumbling, but through it, God shows... Here's this level two of his good work is enabling, enabling. How does that happen? Through God's provision. He enables. Recognizing his provisions enable us to mature more and exercise greater dependence and trust in him. You see him provide for you or for others and you take that to heart knowing more of his faithfulness. Growing in your knowledge of God's faithfulness, that He's truly at work. 
And we read in chapter 16 how providing for God's children helps with letter A, trusting him for today, daily needs. Well, that's all about the bread, the manna that he provided, right? Well, it's also dealing with meat, meat that the quails uh, provided, you know, or the meat that they had, meat that quails have. How much meat is that, right? But nonetheless, it was, the, the land was covered with them. And it was also in the mornings covered with what? They were asking that. What is it? And that's the idea of the term manna. What is it? <laughs> and they learned for the next how many years? How to do manna in all sorts of ways. The manna was their daily bread. Now, we're not going to go through all the instructions, but the, some of the things are. You, you can't go out there and just grab a whole month's worth. Some of us would do that. And some of them did. They, they were told, don't do it, and they still tried it anyway. And it spoiled. But the point was painting a picture. And most of you know, it's painting the picture. Daily provision. Daily only what you can handle today. Here it is. Go out and gather it and collect it. Obviously, it illustrates the truth of the written word of God in our lives. That's the bread, right? Man shall not live by bread, physical bread alone, but by the bread of heaven. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus saying, I am the bread of heaven. Okay. So this is rich here, folks. Just go out. They told him, go out, gather day's portions every day. That I, verse four, look at it, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. There it goes back to what? God's law. So, we believe it's more than just God providing food. It's a lesson on trusting God to provide day by day. In our day and world, you know, our world, how many of us really truly, you know, think in that way? God's going to provide my need today. No, I just go out to the store and get what I need. There's that problem that we all face. And we need to recognize, here's the, the richness of God's word pointing us to trust him for today, even in our society, even the way we have everything given to us. Trust him. Track it back to giving him praise, giving him credit. On my lips, I'm praising him. I'm saying that he is faithful and he is good. Well, we, and, and by the way, trusting in his instruction, not in our own, um, procedures, not in our own good ideas. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. This is the problem that I have and that we, we people have is that we're not growing, you know, it's the idea of learning more about faith and walking in faith. That's what God's good work is, is developing you and I in that way.
working on us faithfully. Letter B is trusting him not just for every day, but for the Sabbath day. Trusting him for the Sabbath day. And that's verses 22 through 30. He's talking about the sixth, the, the, you know, preparing on the sixth day for the seventh day, the Sabbath. Go and collect the bread and it'll last for these next two days. Why? So we can concentrate on what? Worship. Rest. Okay? And we know that Jesus is now our Sabbath. He's, a, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And so every day you and I can worship Him. It's not like we have to wait for next week to worship Him. Right? Now it's important that we do set aside time. That we don't just keep running and running. We've got many people like that in here. You just keep running and running. And chasing, you know... Assignments and projects and things. You, you keep going. You, you don't sit down and, and take time to rest in Him. Yes, we have the spiritual rest in Him. But I'm talking about this week at some point. Next weekend. What, later today. Taking time to say, I'm, I'm going to soak it in. The good work of God. The, the good God that He is. I want to soak that in. So, trusting Him for the Sabbath day in verses 22 through 30. Then letter C, trusting Him for future days. What's that about? Well, they're saying, God says, take some of it and put it in a, and put it in a jar and save it. Why? For a memorial. So that future people can, your children, your grandchildren, and on and on and on can see proof. Here's God's faithfulness. Isn't that what you as a, a parent and a grandparent or a great-grandparent want? You want to pass on the faithfulness of God, the testimony of our God, because He is faithful. Then we come to point number three, His good priorities, or I like to think of it as His good pleasure. Here's God's good pleasure. And this is chapter 17, 1 through 7. Let's read it. Chapter 17, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of God and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Test, test. (laughs) Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses. No surprise. Hashtag Moses really blew it again. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with his people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Now follow along carefully. It's important. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. 
And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of that place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Really, what I believe this level of God's work in our lives is about now enabling, I'm sorry, enjoining, enjoining. Meaning, it's like, okay, now step in and and welcome this part of this work. This very experience of joy and greater intimacy in knowing Him and knowing His good work. And here's why. You say, how'd you get that out of this passage? Do you understand what God does here? God steps out, so to speak. God says, strike the rock. I'm standing on the rock. God's saying, strike me. God exercises two things here. God exercises, number one, His mercy. His patience with Israel's grumbling again. God, listen, God did not do what He should have as God. God did not do. He showed mercy to the people here. They've already, this is not the first time they've complained and murmured. God shows mercy. He did not give them what they deserved. He withheld his just punishment for their continued unbelief. Being God, he had every right to stop everything, judge them, punish them, whatever, but he did not. Seems to me, you know, thinking that God, you know, in the Old Testament, especially is a God of wrath, you're right. (laughs) He's more than that, but that's what people say. He's just a God of terrible wrath and hate and killing and all that. But this would have been a perfect time for, if that's what we think, that this would have been a perfect time for God to really lay it out, lay into them, take them to the woodshed. They deserved it. No question about it, right? But he doesn't. And so letter B, God extends his grace. Simply say it. Here's, here's the demonstration of his mercy, and now here's the demonstration of his grace. What's the difference? He withholds what he should have given them, and yet here now he gives them what they didn't deserve. He proceeds to demonstrate his good, good grace. Actually giving the people what they did not deserve. Here's water. Here's not only the water, but through himself. That's what the the picture is, is given to us here. Strike the rock. And now we know this is not a stretch, by the way. Now we know this is exactly what Paul writes of in 1 Corinthians 10. Turn there. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. Starting at verse 1, and might as well, right? 
chapter 10, verse 1 in 1 Corinthians. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. So God provides the water, but with a very powerful message that at the time the Israelites did not understand, but future speaking, we know. The striking of the rock is interesting, isn't it? It's the same concept of what God did to Egypt. What did God do to Egypt? He struck them with plagues. He struck them. And now God says, strike the rock. Strike me. And what happens at Calvary? Satan bruises what? He bruises. How does he bruise? By striking. He's bruised Christ's heel. Genesis chapter 3. That's the reference. God, in cursing the serpent, said, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your your head. Okay? So, Satan will bruise the heel of the Savior, but the Savior will bruise the head and crush the head of Satan. So, we have that connection. And this is, again, here's the, the sightings of mercy and grace in the Old Testament given towards the people of Israel. They didn't deserve it. What they actually deserved was God's Righteous judgment, God's punishment. That's what you and I have before us every day, folks. It's not like there's, you know, a time where you and I have ever had a a respite from God's wrath, except for what? Except for coming under the refuge of Christ. If you're not in the refuge of Christ, you will face God's wrath. That's that's the gospel. That's part of the gospel message. So flee from the wrath to come. Flee it. I don't care what your argument is. I I know that that's it might be a struggle that you're having, but you need to understand if God is truly God, He's going to punish sin. He already punished it upon His Son. Christ is the propitiation of our sins. He absorbed the wrath of God in a perfect way so that those of you who will have faith and enter into that refuge are safe. You're safe. You're saved. Hallelujah. You know what? Every day God has wrath. Every day. And yet look at the, look at the, the blessings that we have. Look at the, the creation that is out there. Look at all these blessings. God is good. But God will punish sin because He's just and right and true. So God demonstrates His mercy to the people of Israel. He exercises mercy and He extends His grace to these, to these people just like He has to us in Christ. Let's wrap it up. Point number four is our good pursuit. Your pursuit. Your practice. That's what 
we're called for now. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 15 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You are called to work out your salvation, not to um, earn it, because it's already been done. It's already been settled. But now you follow through working out your salvation with what? Trust and obedience. Trust and obey for there's no other way. Walk in holiness. Walk, turn away from sin, hate sin and repent of it and keep trusting God, walking with Him. It really brings forth this issue, you know, here's the, the dual work. It's God's work. He did it. It is God who works in you. Now you and I respond to that work. Right? Let me just mention this before we look at Second Timothy. Give thought this week. <laughs> what do you find yourself chasing after? What do you find yourself pursuing? You know, I, I get it. We all want to perform well. And yet sometimes that performing well sneaks over to try. I got to perform well for God. Well, yeah, I want to do that. But why? To earn his good favor? You can't earn his good favor. It's not grace if you do that. It's not grace. Grace is what? It's a free gift. Through Christ, who paid a penalty. And so we say, yes, I want to work out my own salvation. I want to join in with what God's already doing. 2 Timothy 2.22 Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the name of the Lord from a pure heart. So there's our pursuit. Pursue, chase, after, uh, follow after, okay? Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. It's not a list of, you know, 29 things. Pursue righteousness, pursue faith, love, and peace. It says, do it with those and call upon the name of the Lord with those, you know, who are like-minded. Let me just do a little rabbit trail here. I want to encourage you. You've been coming to Parkside for any length of time. Maybe it's that you're new. Maybe you've been here for a long time. Have you become a member? You, you do this, you chase after righteousness and these things with those who call upon the name of the Lord. That's what we're wanting to do. We want to keep chasing after, pursuing, following Him in His righteousness, His in faith, love, and peace. So I would, I'd encourage you to consider that. It's, you know, there's no law out there that says, Thou shalt become a member. But you know what? It's there. In various ways, it's there. You're part of the family of God. 
demonstrate that, demonstrate that in the visible family of God. You're part of the vine, right? I'm the vine, Jesus said. You're the branches. You're part. If you're a believer, demonstrate it. You know, demonstrate it in the visible vine. We don't make a big, you know, guilt trip on it, but certainly it's there. And we want to encourage you, if you have questions, please talk to us about it. So, now, we're not saying in pursuing, we're not saying think about it. Oh, think about righteousness. Think about faith. Think about love. Think about peace. We're not saying think. It says, you're a believer, pursue it. Go after it. Chase it. So how are you pursuing these things? How are you doing in that regard? So, you know what? God continues His good work. He continues it. And allowing testing in all sorts of different, various ways to stretch you to rely on Him. Nothing uh, super, super special, but it is super special when we just focus on these elementary things. Keep walking in faith in Him, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, as soon as we close in prayer, uh, Mark and Carol Robertson will be up front here. And if you'd like to uh, come up front and ask them to pray with you, um, whatever that request might be, um, take advantage of that. Um, We'd like to help you in in these kind of ways in more of a personal regard um, so that they might, you know, Mark and Carol uh, have demonstrated their love for the Lord. uh, So they would want to listen talk and encourage you in in your situation. So recognize God's good work, His good purposes, His good provisions, and His good pleasure. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give You thanks. There's times I know where it might be that Many of us can think that you're so distant, you're far off, and uh, we thank you that your word tells us otherwise. You draw near to those who are of a humble and contrite spirit. Help us, dear Lord, in seeing the value of humbling ourselves before you, and help us to be hungry to recognize your good work, that we go quickly to your word and let it dwell in our hearts richly. And that whenever we face the tests of life, we can be found, rather than complaining and grumbling, looking to you and saying, Lord, you see us, help us. We trust in you. 
Thank you, Lord, again for this day, for our time together, for being able to worship. Help us to respond in the ways of this message to walk after you, to pursue you in righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good, everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.